at Herod's persecution. And that's in Acts chapter 12, verses 1 through 25. Now, just so you know, we're not talking about Herod the Great, who was the king when Jesus was born. This is his grandson. This is Herod Agrippa I, and he was a grandson of Herod the Great. And uh, we're going to see how that affects the church. So let's, let's look together. First of all, we're going to look at the martyrdom of James the Apostle. Okay, so if you have your Bibles, look at Acts. Let's look at the first two verses. Now about that time, Herod the king stretched out his hand to harass some from the church. Then he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. Okay, so first thing I want you to notice here is this. that King Herod Agrippa I began to persecute certain people from the church. Now, let me explain to you why he did that. The Herods were not true Jews, first of all. So I want you to understand that. They were Edomites. They were Edomites. So they were not true Jews. The Edomites would have been distantly related to Israel all the way back during the time of Lot. So anyhow, what I want you to see here is is this. This king, though, he had he was half Edomite. The other half of him was Hasmonean. Now, you've never heard that term before, Hasmonean. So let me explain to you what that was. When uh, Daniel wrote his prophecy, he talked about that the Greeks would take over the Holy Land. And they did. But there was a revolt during that time called the Maccabean Revolt. And if you read the Apocrypha, which is most of the Catholic books, Catholic Bibles would include the Apocrypha. If you read Maccabees, you'll read about the Maccabean Revolt. And when they rebelled against the Antiochus Epiphanes, and they rebelled against the Greek rule at that time, they gained their independence. And so they established a kingdom, not a kingdom of David, but a kingdom, a Hasmonean kingdom. It was a Jewish kingdom, but it was not after the line of David. So this guy, Herod Agrippa, Actually, his mother was a Hasmonean. His grandfather or great-grandfather would have been overthrown by the Romans when they took over and they established the Herods as the rulers of Judea. So he would have been half acceptable to the Jews. And he played on that. If you read about Herod Agrippa I, he played on the fact that he had some sort of way to resonate with the Jews at that time. And they accepted him and they were pleased with him. And one of the ways that he especially sought to curry the favor of the Jews as he ruled was to persecute the church. Because the rulers knew that the Jewish authorities, the Jewish religious authorities, did not like the church. They did not like the way, as it was called. They did not like Christians. And so he decided to gain the favor of the Jews by harassing some from the church. And here's who he decided to harass, the apostles themselves. So he grabbed James and he grabbed Peter. Now James he had executed with the sword. Basically James was beheaded, okay? James was beheaded. And and that's what I want you to see here next, that he had the apostle James, the brother of John, executed with a sword. He had him executed with the sword. 
Now, that would have made the Jews very happy because they were trying to get rid of the church on their own, but here's the legal system, the king of the of this area basically doing this, and he's removing James. So James is the very first apostle to be martyred here. Now notice now, we're going to see the arrest of Peter. So look with me at verses 3 through 19. And because he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to seize Peter also. Now it was during the days of unleavened bread. So when he had arrested him, he put him in prison, delivered him to four squads of soldiers to keep him, intending to bring him before the people after the Passover. Peter was kept, therefore kept in prison, but constant prayer was offered to God for him by the church. When Herod was about to bring him out, that night Peter was sleeping, bound with two chains between two soldiers. The guards before the door were keeping the prison. Now behold, an angel of the Lord stood by him, and a light shone in the prison. And he struck Peter on the side and raised him up, saying, Arise quickly, and his chains fell off his hands. Then the angel said to him, Gird yourself and tie up your sandals. Tie on your sandals. And so he did. And he said to him, Put on your garment and follow me. So he went out and followed him and did not know that what was done by the angel was real, but thought that he was seeing a vision. So they were past the first and second guard posts. They came to the iron gate that leads to the city, which opened to them on its own accord. And they went out and went down one street, and immediately the angel departed from him. And when Peter had come to himself, he said, Now I know for certain that the Lord has sent his angel and delivered me from the hand of Herod and from the expectation all the expectation of the Jewish people. So when he had considered this, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname is Mark, where many were gathered together praying. And as Peter knocked at the door of the gate, a girl named Rhoda came to answer. And when she recognized Peter's voice, because of her gladness, she did not open the gate but ran in and announced that Peter stood before the gate. And they said to her, You are beside yourself. Yet she kept insisting that it was so. So they said, It it is his angel. Now Peter continued knocking, and when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. But motioning to to them with his hand to keep silent, he declared to them how the Lord had brought him out of prison. And he said, go tell these things to James and to the brethren. And they departed and went to another place. And then as soon as it was day, there was no small stir among the soldiers about what had become of Peter. And when Herod searched for him and had not found him, he examined the guards and commanded that they should be put to death. And he went from Judea to Caesarea and stayed there. Okay, so you've heard this story, I'm sure, if you've gone to Sunday school, they've told you this story. So let's let's kind of go through it, okay? So verse 3, because it pleased the Jews to kill James. So again, this is a politically expedient thing to do. 
King Herod had Peter arrested. Because it pleased the Jews to kill James, King Herod had Peter arrested. So he decides to arrest Peter. <clears throat> Again, he's currying the Jewish favor. He's doing what's right. Don't politicians do that today? Seriously, I mean, I mean, they didn't even have polls back then. But he kind of knew what to do, and politicians today do the same thing. They figure out that they can get the support of the people. They'll do what they have to do. Now, what we're going to notice here is this. This occurred during the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Remember the Feast of Unleavened Bread? This is right before the Passover, where they would eat bread like they did when they were on their way, ready to get out of Egypt and go into Canaan. When they were fled, they were to eat in haste unleavened bread. So that's what this feast was commemorating. Peter was delivered to a prison where he was guarded by four squads of soldiers. Now, do you guys know why that he probably was guarded by four squads of soldiers? Anybody figure out why? Something happened before that would make them realize that they need to have four squads of soldiers. Let, let me ask you a question. If somebody escapes from a prison and they catch him, do you think they put him in tighter security? Yes. Now remember, remember all the way back, Acts chapter 4, Peter and John are, are captured, and they're released from prison, and they go out the next day and preach in the temple again. Okay, so this time the king's like, that ain't happening again. So he has four squads of soldiers watching Peter. Now, when you read the account, he's not just watching Peter. Peter's not just chained in a cell. He's chained to his prison guards. They're in the room with him to make sure that he's not going anywhere, okay? So this is what's so amazing about this story. So he was to be presented to the people after the Passover feast. So they wanted to wait till the Passover was over to present him to the people. And you say, why present him to the people? Well, because they're going to make the decision to kill him. Do you understand? To execute him, to punish him. Now... <clears throat> While Peter was in prison, the church prayed continually and earnestly for him. So guess what happens? A prayer meeting, okay? So they have a prayer meeting for Peter. They're praying for him to be, to be rescued, to be healed, to be watched over, for God to release him. Now, verses 6 through 11 tell us a story of how he's freed. So Peter was sleeping, chained between two soldiers with guards outside the door. So this is the situation. He's sleeping. Now that's got to be a rough sleep, okay? Like I, I roll around all the time during my sleep. I sleep on my belly. But you're chained to two different guards. So like how do you, how do you go to sleep with chains on? And then you've got outside the door, you've got soldiers making sure that nothing happens. So they're making sure that Peter stays where he's at. So he's sleeping, and then appears, there's an angel that appears, and he strikes Peter to wake him, and as he's standing up, his chains fall off. Now that's miraculous, okay? That's miraculous. Peter is told to get dressed and follow the angel. That in itself, I mean, think about it. You're, you get, somebody strikes you on the side, you realize it's an angel, told you to get up, chains fall off. Now in the room, 
are these two other guards. And then the angel says, get dressed. Okay, so he gets dressed, and he's told to follow the angel. Now, Peter believed that he was seeing a vision and did not know that it was real. Now, isn't that amazing? You ever had a dream that you felt was so real? Peter thinks he's dreaming this all is happening, okay? He thinks it's a dream. He doesn't realize that this is real. So the angel led Peter out of the prison into the city. So he goes past several guard posts. You got it. This is amazing, isn't it? Several guard posts he goes past, and then he goes out into the city and down the street. Now Peter came to himself and proclaimed that God delivered him from Herod and the people. First thing Peter does when he realizes is, okay, God saved me. Because he knew what was coming, right, folks? He knew what was coming, and what was coming was his death. What was coming was his death. So then, in verses 12 to 17, we're going to see that he goes to the prayer meeting. So Peter went to John Mark's house where the believers were praying for him. So he goes to John Mark's house where the believers were praying for him. Just a little bit about who John Mark is, okay? First time we're meant, we know about John Mark is from the Gospel of Mark, and it's the Gospel account of Jesus being arrested in the garden, and there's an account of a young man who was with the apostles that night, and that when the arrest happened and they scattered and fleed, this young man ran off, basically lost his whatever outer garment, and he ran away naked. That was John Mark, okay? That's John Mark. The other thing I want you to know about him, the Gospel of Mark was written by this fellow. Under the influence of Peter, Peter influenced John Mark, okay, to write this Gospel. He then later becomes a companion of the Apostle Paul, which we're going to see as we go further along in Acts. So just want you to be aware of that. Now, so he went to John Mark's house where believers were praying for him. A girl named Rhoda told him that those, a girl named Rhoda told those who were praying that Peter was there and nobody believed her. Now just stop for a moment. Isn't that ironic? They're having a prayer meeting. Think about this. Isn't that sometimes how we pray? We pray unbelieving. We pray because we know that's what we should do, right? So they're having a prayer meeting for Peter. God, deliver Peter, he's going to die. God, deliver Peter, he's going to die. The girl who's at the door comes and says, hey, Peter's outside. Oh, you're nuts. They weren't believing, were they? Okay? And, and don't, don't be like, oh, I can't believe that. We're the same way. We're the exact same way. So Peter continued knocking until they finally opened the door and were astonished. We're astonished. Have you ever been blown away by God answering prayer? I have. I've been blown away by God answering prayer. Like, that's not what we expected. We prayed because we knew that was the thing to do, but we've become cynical in our age, haven't we? Where we just expect bad things to happen. And so that when they opened the door, they were amazed to see Peter. So Peter silenced them and shared the account of his freedom. Peter silenced them and shared the account 
of his freedom. Now, he told them that James, the brother, he told them to tell James, the brother of Jesus, and departed for another place. Now, when you read your text, it's going to say, go tell James. That's not the James who just got killed at the beginning of the passage. This is the brother of Jesus who is basically the pastor of the Jerusalem church, okay? The pastor of the Jerusalem church. So Peter says, go tell James, and he departed from there, okay? He departed. Now, the disappearance of Peter caused a great stir among the soldiers who were guarding him. That's pretty much an understatement, wouldn't it be? You got this maximum security. You got four squads of soldiers. They're chained between. Can you see when the morning comes? I mean, basically, the place is still locked up. And there, where's Peter? Who knows? He's gone. Do you know what I'm saying? That would cause a stir, wouldn't it? That would be like, what in the world is going on? Now, King Herod had the guards executed when Peter was not found. Now, let me stop for a moment. I need to explain this to you because that sounds so radical today. So, like, for instance, when we have prison breaks, and we do here in the United States, what do they do with the guards when they have a prison break? Anybody know? They launch an investigation. Somebody did something wrong. They probably slap them on the hand. But do they execute the guards here in our country when they don't, when there's a prison break? No, no, they don't. But in their day, they did. And here's why. The reason why is because they're setting an example. They don't like escapes. By killing the guards, you make sure the next time somebody guards somebody, they do the job. Do you understand what I'm saying? You hold them responsible. One of the reasons why they would execute them is is they would think that they're in league or in cahoots with the person who escaped. Do you understand? They either got paid off or whatever. So they didn't trust anybody, and so their sure way of doing it was to kill them. We're going to see that in the case of the Philippian jailer. Remember the story of the Philippian jailer? Paul and Silas are in the prison. They're praying. Earthquake comes. Their chains fall off. The, the prison warden wakes up, runs into the prison. He thinks everybody's left and he's getting ready to take his life. Why? Because he knows that if they escape, he's going to face death anyhow. He'd rather take it himself than have somebody else take it from him. Do you understand? So that's what's going on here. That's the culture of that day. All right. <clears throat> now, let's talk about Herod now. The, the interesting thing is, is the Bible goes on and tells us a little bit more about King Herod Agrippa I. So notice with me verses 20 through 25. 20 through 25. Now Herod had, had been very angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon. But they had come with one accord and made, having made Blastus the king's personal aid their friend, and they asked for peace because their country was supplied with food by the king's country. So on a set day, Herod, arrayed in royal apparel, sat down on his throne and gave an oration to them. And the people kept shouting, the voice of God and not of man. So think about this. He's giving a speech and the people keep shouting, the voice of God and not of man. Now, Immediately, 
an angel of the Lord struck him because he did not give glory to God, and he was eaten by worms and died. But the word of God grew and multiplied, and Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had fulfilled their ministry, and they also took with him John, whose surname was Mark. All right, so let's talk about this. First of all, Tyre and Sidon had incurred the wrath of King Herod. Let me explain to you what Tyre and Sidon is. Anybody know, if you look at a map of the Middle East, have you heard of Lebanon? Okay, Lebanon. This is what we would know as modern-day Lebanon. Okay, in modern-day Lebanon, at that time, they obviously had made, they were under, they were under the rule of King Herod Agrippa I. And they made him mad. They had incurred his wrath, so to speak. He was irritated with them, okay? And so uh, they had incurred the wrath of King Herod the Great, and they wanted to make it right because the text tells us they got their food from King Herod the Great. Do you understand what I'm saying? Their grain came from another area that he ruled over. So they're wanting to be sure that everything is okay because if you make, if let's say Clearfield County, let's say we're living in that kind of feudalistic society, we make Washington mad. Okay, And so they decide they're not sending us any more money or subsidies or even food this way. Do you understand what I'm saying? Because we've ticked them off. It was their way of controlling. That's what's going on here. So they wanted to make peace with the king and asked one of his personal friends for help. So the text tells us here that they asked a guy by the name of Blastus. What a name. Blastus is his name. And so they asked him for help. They made friends with him. And they were trying to smooth things over with the king, okay? They wanted to make peace with the king and asked one of his personal friends for help. So here's what happened. King Herod's in Caesarea, which is in the northern part of what we know as Israel, would have been in Galilee, which is near Tyre and Sidon. So he's up there, and he appeared in royal apparel and gave a speech to the people of Tyre and Sidon. So... Obviously, in trying to work things out, they've come to some sort of agreement. The king shows up in his royal apparel and gives a speech. Isn't that what they do? When we come to some sort of agreement, somebody's always got to give a speech, right? Okay? That's what's happening here. The king decides to give a speech. Now, the people proclaimed that they were hearing the voice of God and not man. Now, you know why they're doing it, right? I mean, the guy controls whether or not you're going to get bread. So they've worked out this deal that everything's going to smooth over, and King Herod speaks, and they kind of lay on the flattery. Oh, the voice of God, not of man. They're like saying, Herod, you've got the voice of God. They're kind of like lifting him up, giving him a big head. Do you understand what I'm saying? They're flattering him. And it's pretty ridiculous, okay? It's pretty ridiculous what they're saying. And historical counts, let me just stop for a moment. This is in historical counts, this event. We're looking at what the Bible tells us about the event. But historical accounts tell us this took place. This event took place, and the people of Tyre and Sidon said this to him, okay? They said this to him. Now, the angel of the Lord struck King Herod because he did not glorify God. 
Now here's what God did. God said, okay, you think you're God? Fine. And he struck him. He punished him. Now, let me explain to you. When we read our text, it seems like it happened that day. So he's up there. People are making these accolades. All of a sudden he goes, oh, no, that's not what happened. But what happened was is that he was struck and the way he died was horrendous. I'll explain that to you here in a moment. The angel of the Lord struck the king with worms and he died. Now we know what those worms are. They're called round worms. And round worms are a type of worms where they don't just eat the food that you consume, they eat you. He had contracted round worms, and basically these round worms were eating him from the inside out. Do you understand? So it was a very painful way to die. We know that from the historical record. We know that King Herod Agrippa died because he had round worms. And he basically was died in agony and pain because these worms were eating him from the inside out. Now you think about that. They, they, they end up in your dietary tract, in your intestinal tract, but they're basically eating their way out. They're going to be eating into organs that you need to live. Do you understand what I'm saying? This is a terrible way to die. Okay? This is a terrible way to die. So the angel of the Lord... The angel, the angel struck the king with worms, and he died. Now, here's what I want you to see. This is the thing that I want you to understand. So, okay, we you see that God has his vengeance on this king, okay? But then if you look at verse 24, it's like, where did this come from? Look at what it says. But the word of the God grew and multiplied. Here's what I want you to see. The church grew and multiplied as the word of God continued to be shared. Here's the whole point. This is the emphasis of the passage. Beginning of the passage. This king is grabbing, he's trying to take care of the church. Kills one guy, grabs another. God rescues the other guy. But God also has his vengeance on this king. And even though it seems like the church is going to flounder because of civil authority, God is saying, no, I'm in control. And basically, he's shown us two ways that he's in control. He protects his servants, number one. Number two, he takes care of those who persecute the church in his own way. And guess what? God's word keeps going forth. God's word keeps multiplying. God's word keeps touching people's lives. No matter what the world thinks it's going to do. In fact, a great parallel psalm is Psalm 2. Let me read to you what David wrote in Psalm 2. Why do the nations rage and the people plot a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take their counsel together against the Lord, against his anointed, saying, let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us. Listen to verse 4. He who sits in, in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall hold them in derision. God laughs at them. And he shall speak to them in his wrath and in distress them in his deep displeasure. Yet I have set my king on my holy hill 
of Zion. God's the one who's in control. Do you understand what I'm saying? doesn't matter what happens. God's the one who's in control. Period. Bottom line. God's the one who's in control. So, notice now, verse 25. It turns now, it shifts the focus from Peter, and what we're seeing here is a shift in the book. Up until this point, Peter's had a pretty prominent part, has he not? We've seen his ministry, ministry to the Jews in Jerusalem, and so forth. Up to this point, we've seen that Peter has had a pretty prominent part. Now, with verse 25, the book shifts to focus on somebody else. And the book shifts to focus on Paul. So what it says here is this. Barnabas and Saul returned to Antioch, taking John Mark with them. Now remember, Saul is the Hebrew name. Paul is his what? Roman name, okay? His Roman Greek name. So now the shift is going to be to the Apostle Paul. And so when we start next week, we're going to see the first missionary journey.